Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yugara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hi everyone, happy Thursday. Welcome to another episode of Trainer Talks and Tales. You are joined, of course, by myself, Daisy, and Tess. How are you, Tess? Yeah, good, thanks, Daisy. That's good. We have a really exciting podcast coming up, as always. This podcast is really special, though, because it's one that we have been able to coordinate through your guys' recommendations. So when we occasionally will put out, what do you want to hear about? This topic was absolutely something that we heard a zillion times, which is really cool. So we really hope that you enjoy it. Um, but first, as always, Tess, what have you been up to this week? Um, I've had a good week. Uh, it's been hot as um, every as every week basically has been here in Brisbane, Queensland. We have had some great training wins this week. We have acquired a peregrine falcon uh, a couple of months ago who was hit by a train and we're in the process of free flying her now. And yeah, it's been really fun having her fly to the lure every day, but obviously free flying a bird that's still getting used to an area it can either take five minutes or it could take two hours so sometimes our training sessions are quick and sometimes it's a couple hours so you have to mentally prepare yourself (laughs) before you train (laughs) our falcon at the moment um and sometimes trudging around in the heat looking at her in a tree trying to catch her breath to come back down is fun and sometimes it's a bit um testing <laughs> but yeah it's been really good it's, been it's really using fun. those um self-fulfilling prophecies isn't it to make yes. sure that you have a successful session with her absolutely and sometimes <laughs> I just make it very small like let's just do a very small sweet um you know easy to achieve session today <laughs> um but yeah it's been good what about you um how have you been uh, yeah, look, my week has been incredibly boring because I am sick again. Night three, Melbourne, Taylor Swift, seems like everyone else is sick too. So it's worth it. It was an amazing weekend. So I really don't have anything to update from work this week, but I didn't really have time last week to chat about something really exciting that did happen at work. So I thought I would utilize this opportunity to chat about that. So last week, or possibly even the week before, We actually reached out to a gentleman called Mike. So he works for a company called Stand and Deliver. My manager, Jess, she's amazing. She's really open and really keen to progress our presenting and the development skills within our presentations. And he came highly recommended. So he's a head of entertainment at Village Roadshow, but also has his own company where he teaches presentation workshops and works one-on-one with people, works in groups with how to develop their skill set. So he was amazing. He came to Sea Life and did two workshops with our team. So we were still able to run the day, but make sure that everyone got the opportunity to participate in that. And it was so different to what I expected. I love presenting. I feel like I speak about that all the time. But he really kind of dived into some different avenues in regards to presenting about who you are as a person and how you can organically pull that through when you are presenting and talking about things that are super passionate to yourself. A couple of things he spoke about, though, was verbal interference, oh, vocal interference, sorry, 
which is the ums and ahs. <laughs> um, so since then, it's been fascinating because every single time I hear it, I've been thinking about that too. And he really expressed about utilizing a pause instead of an arm or an ah, because it's almost like a bridging word to what's next to come. And you quite, aren't quite there with that thought. So you utilize one of those words and it's not necessarily needed. I think for me, when I listen back to some of my podcasts with you, I find that I probably use the word like way too much. So I'm going to focus on that a little bit more. And the other thing he spoke about was word economy too, which was really interesting. And that's just being able to have the ability to say as much as possible with the least amount of words. And I think that falls back on keeping our crowds engaged, keeping our guests engaged throughout those presentations or opportunities to educate people about different species or what we're up to. So that's definitely something that we're all thinking about over the next sort of couple of weeks and how we can reduce our word economy and how we can say as much as we possibly can without talking too much or allowing the animals to say more of the story. So absolutely recommend him. I'm really hoping that we can get him on the podcast to answer everyone's presenting questions and for him to share his knowledge because it was really valuable for the whole team. We had some really great feedback. So really hoping that we can get him back out to us again to develop even more and um, yeah, hopefully on the podcast too. Okay, cool. Thanks, Daisy. I mean, that sounds incredible. And I'm excited to have him on the podcast because you came over and you were like, just absolutely raving about it. So I'm very keen to have him hopefully even come to Lone Pine, but also on the podcast. But now everyone's going to be listening for my ums and your likes and things like that. So <laughs> cheers for that. Now it's going to yes. be um, <laughs> fresh in their minds. But I also believe that there's a difference between podcasting. We're trying to make this as natural as possible. And in normal conversations, you do say um when you're thinking and that kind of thing. Whereas in a pres uh, presentation role, you probably want to be uh, a bit more professional and don't have those ums and ahs and make it a little bit more flowy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, we're working towards being able to deliver the best presentation. That's the most organic, most authentic that we can too. So if it affects our day-to-day -day talking, great. But obviously the idea is that we are improving our presentations. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Anyway, Tess, we should absolutely dive into today's episode because it is brilliant. Like we mentioned, we are really lucky to be joined by Elizabeth. She is the host of Mothering Wildlife podcast, and she's also been in the industry for a really long time. We chatted about such a variety of different topics. So we're really hopeful that you guys enjoy this one. So no messing around. Let's get straight into it. Elizabeth, welcome to Trainer Talks and Tales. We are so excited to have you on the podcast today and your episode was highly recommended by the listeners. So it's really exciting to have you with us today. Yeah, I'm really excited to do this. So thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Um, but we do obviously start our podcast every single week with a fast five. So I'm just going to throw five questions at you and you just have to answer as quick as possible. Does that sound good? Okay. Sounds good. I'm ready. Okay. Question number one, birds or reptiles? Birds. Favorite U.S. state? Oh gosh. Ooh. Uh, can I say Florida? It's where I live, but I do love parts of Florida. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, question number three: Sun or snow? Uh, sun. Four is favorite ungulate species? Giraffe. And finally, In and Out or Taco Bell? Ooh, In and Out. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw a bit of an American question. I was in gonna there say those you. are really American restaurants. <laughs> yeah, I googled what are some restaurants in America. <laughs> but no great job you that was awesome really quickly too i'm impressed <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do love a, a good taco bell there's some great things there but it hurts my stomach now as i'm older <laughs> <laughs> 
we have Taco Bell in Australia, but we don't have it yeah. now. So I've never had it oh. now before. We have pretty good burgers. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like I said, thank you again so much. We're super grateful for your time. You are the host of another really awesome podcast called Mothering Wildlife. And obviously we're really excited to chat a little bit more about that. But one thing that Tess and I really enjoy doing to start off a podcast is just get to know our guests a little bit more. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about your pathway into the animal industry and where you are up to now. Sure. Yeah. So I first got into the zoo world in 2006, dating myself, but that was quite a ways um, back. And I started at a small zoo in East Texas. I was working primarily with rhinoceros and giraffe. Then there were a few big cats thrown in the way just as a zookeeper. Um, shortly after I started there, my manager, she was a collection manager, moved on to another facility. And I, whether it was foolishly or not, <laughs> rose to the challenge and put my name in the hat and moved up to be a collection manager quite early on in my career. Um, I stayed at that zoo for a few years. It was a great zoo to learn things at because they were so small and the collection was so small. As a zookeeper, you just had the ability to learn and do everything, everything. I mean, from maintenance to horticulture to animal husbandry stuff, like you just kind of like were expected to kind of jump in and learn things. And I learned so many things at that zoo. So I'm like really grateful to have it on my resume. Uh, after I left there, I went uh, to Naples, Florida. They had recently acquired a bachelor herd of giraffe, and they'd never had giraffe at that zoo before. So because I had giraffe experience under my belt, I think that's probably why my resume shown out. Um, and they hired me in 2010. I moved to Florida. I'd never been to Naples, Florida before. I'd never been to the Naples Zoo. Um, and I just kind of went there on a whim, and I have actually been at the Naples Zoo twice now. I took a brief stint in 2000. Um, 16, and I went back to Texas to work at the Dallas Zoo, and then I came back to Naples. They lured me back. So I've been at the Naples Zoo kind of since 2010, um, and that's where I currently am. The majority of my career as a zookeeper was focused on hoofstock, primarily giraffe at Naples. Um, so I am an ungulate keeper through and through, although when I came back to Naples Zoo the second time around, I was back as the supervisor of our carnivore area. So I do also love big cats, um, but my fondness for ungulates definitely is what kind of like started this whole zoo career thing. So now at the Naples Zoo, actually, I am no longer doing daily animal care. Um, about a year and a half ago, we restructured the animal department and um, created a role that was dedicated primarily towards records management, like as a registrar. And also we tacked on professional development because at our zoo, we didn't really have a way for keepers to kind of like move up in levels. Um, so we wanted to provide some sort of like upward mobility opportunities for them. And so they tacked on professional development and they combined it with records management. And um, that's the role that I have now. So not doing daily animal care, which is hard because I do miss getting out into the field and doing all that stuff. But I do very much love what I'm doing right now. So. Wow, that's awesome. What a like a fascinating resume with so many different <laughs> facilities and different species. Yeah. I was just going to ask. You kind of semi-answered that at the end. How did you find that transition from moving away from animals every day to this new role that you're involved in? I was really hesitant at first, to be honest. I was like, I don't really know how I'm going to feel about this because, like, I identified, like, hardcore as a zookeeper. And granted, I'm, zoo I'm still in the zoo field. Like, I haven't left that field, but, like, caring for those animals every single day day like doing that as a job was really familiar and comfortable to me and I really loved it so I really honestly was a little hesitant I wasn't sure how I was going to feel um, but now that I have been doing this role for the past year and a half like it 
I'm okay with it. <laughs> I miss it every now and then. Um, obviously, the people I worked with um, prior to moving to this new role are still at the zoo. All of the animals are still at the zoo. I'm still at the zoo. I get a chance to go over and, and see them every once in a while, so I haven't completely stepped away. Um, but I really, I really have been quite okay with sitting in my little, you know, registrar island working on my records. That's good. I was going to say you still have the opportunity to be immersed in it. You know, yeah. if you're desperate, you could like, you know, on your lunch break, be like, oh, I wonder what, you know, this animal's up to and that kind of yeah. thing. So you can enrich yourself with a bit of like contact with the keepers and animals still. So best of both worlds, maybe. Yeah, 100%. And because I do have that animal care knowledge and experience under my belt, it, it's handy. I mean, if they need a fourth person to come over and help them with orangutan training, like I'm totally capable of doing that because I've got experience working with a variety of taxes. So it, it you know, it's handy all the way around. I find even um, at our facility, if our like curators or wildlife administrators are in more of an office role now, they like they slip out all the time. They're like, "Oh, yeah. you, you need a hand with that? I'll uh, <laughs> I'll help you with that." Just to yeah, we go look animal contact still. So <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Like always, first to put the hand up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, um, we would love to hear a little bit more about your podcast. Um, so if you can tell us a little bit more about what it is and what was the driving force for starting that podcast as well. Sure. So I host the Mothering Wildlife podcast, um, and it's really a podcast that's dedicated to just sharing the stories of animal care professionals, of wildlife professionals. We primarily talk to moms that are in the zoo field. Um, however, you know, we have every intent of accepting and branching out to, you know, biologists, conservationists, you know, vet techs, veterinarians, it doesn't just have to be zookeepers, but we have primarily talked to just zookeepers. Um, and really, honestly, the, the way that the podcast came about is a good friend that I worked with at the Naples Zoo. She was our veterinarian. Um, you know, her and I were pregnant together with our second pregnancies and we were going through the same things. And we were, we, we also had older children and we were like, God, we're really like, we're kicking butt at this. This is hard, but like we are doing all the things. And like, I just, I wonder how many people out in the world, like realize like what these zoom moms are going through and what they're doing and, you know, the accommodations they make for their bodies and with their staff and working with animals. Like that's not easy. It's different every day. And so we were like, God, it would be really cool if we could just like tell these stories to like also then connect these moms with each other it's kind of like in a community of like we're all going through the same thing and maybe you know through that hopefully give someone you know an opportunity to like hear another mom's story and feel less alone so that's kind of how this podcast came about is that it's such a unique weird niche field we've got odd hours you know we work on the holidays we're not having any sort of regular normal semblance to some sort of career so sometimes you know each day is different and because of that quirkiness, we're all just kind of um, in the same boat. And so it was just kind of felt natural to try to bring everyone together and tell their stories. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, the community that you have made. And I think, like you said, it was probably so niche that you thought it was just you going through those fields. But actually, now that you put the podcast out, it's to so many people that are going through that all around the world. And we saw yeah. that absolutely with the interest that we got as soon as we announced that we were having you on the podcast. Now, across, like, obviously all of your episodes, you've had the ability to chat to such a variety of different people. Have you found that there has been the most, like, a particular common challenge that everyone's going through? 
Yeah, I mean, there are a few things that stick out. Probably schedules is the main one. People being able to work their family life around their zoo schedules, which, as we all know, you know, most facilities are a 365-day operation, and you might not have a regular Saturday, Sunday off. And as their children get older and they're involved in activities and, you know, they, they're either sacrificing being able to attend that activity with their child or they're missing a lot of stuff during the week. Like schedules has just been a really hot topic. We talk about that a lot with a lot of my guests that come on and how they've either been able to transition to other roles that has helped their schedule or maybe they've left the field. Um, but schedules are definitely challenging because, uh, you know, zoo, zoo schedules and zoo time does not necessarily mesh with the rest of the world or school, <laughs> public school time or even daycare time. And so that's been really, really, really challenging. And honestly, the other thing that we talk about a lot is, you know, as zookeepers, um, we kind of have this really like ingrained identity of like I am a zookeeper this is who I am and it's so much of what we put all of our like energies and emotions and like mental focus into especially when we're younger you know prior to potentially having a partner and families like this just becomes embodies our lives at least it does here in the United States for better or no, worse it's definitely the same here yeah absolutely. yeah so you guys get it like you just kind of become this entity I'm a zookeeper and then when you become a parent or you become a mom, it is a huge shift in identity. Now, I'm also a mom. And gosh, I don't even really know, honestly, who I am anymore because I know what a mom should be. And I want to embody that like wholeheartedly. But then also like that just, you know, it's sucking all of my time and energy right now. And I kind of have left behind this like the zoo identity that like up until the moment I gave birth was like my everything. And so we, we talk a lot about this like weird identity shift that seems to happen or needs to happen <laughs> quite honestly for mental health, because it's, you're almost like trying to merge two different worlds. Oh, absolutely. And with full honesty, uh, I haven't listened to a podcast, but I'm so excited to do so uh, with like Ross Afari, um, Death by Birding. I've only got a 10 minute drive to work. So there's only so much oh, yeah. I can do, <laughs> um, but I'm so interested in listening and everything you're saying right now is resonating with me so, so much because um, I am pregnant and I am having a baby this year. And exactly what you said, like zookeeping or this job is my identity I love it I have wanted to do it since I was three I live it breathe it and for me um it is a lot to mentally you know get my head around that mm -hmm. it will be a side hustle <laughs> you yeah. know like I'll have like a whole new identity and a whole new focus so I'm very interested in listening and just managing that um identity change or just yeah and keeping my mind open to I can be both yeah I mean it to be honest like prior to having kids like I I wasn't really aware of that shift that happens you just don't know you don't know what you don't know you know and you honestly don't know how you're going to feel after you give birth I just didn't think that that would be front and center of my mind as much as it is now as much as it is like this constant like battle back and forth of these two worlds colliding I, I just didn't I didn't think that, that would be a thing and it totally is I remember friends telling me like your priorities will change your passions will change mm -hmm. when you have children and I was very like well I don't really want that to change at all I love what I do I encompass my whole personality throughout it like you said so that is just 
yeah, a little bit intimidating for me, but it's really reassuring hearing and seeing so many successful parents in the industry as well and balancing both lives and both personalities. Yeah, yeah. because you're still in there. Like, you're still Daisy. You're still Tess. Like, you, I'm still yeah. Elizabeth. I'm in there. Zookeeper Elizabeth is still in there. She's just in a season of life right now where, you know, there's something else that's taking a little bit more mental energy and emotional energy. Doesn't mean that I still don't love what I do and I still am. I'm not committed to it 100%. It's still in there. It's just being a little bit squish down but that's okay <laughs> i love that she's just in a season she's just doing something she's else for a bit <laughs> yeah it's like the tv show yeah. of our lives and this, this yeah. season this is a slightly different season this time yeah no i actually love that a lot um no that that's well said for sure <laughs> now um for people in managing roles what are some crucial things that they can do to support staff returning to work as parents um, or in those very early months being back at work? This is really hard. Um, you know, if you are in a management role and you are a parent, then you probably, if you've got an employee that's coming back from either leave or is newly pregnant, you probably have like a little bit better of an understanding of what that person's going through than say someone who you know, just, just doesn't have children. But I, I will say it's so important, I think, to check in with those moms. I mean, and we've got dads too in this field, but we're, you know, we're talking about from my experience as a mom to kind of check in with them once they return off leave and, and really ask them, like, how are you doing? Like to be asked that as a mom, like, how are you doing? <laughs> Not about the kids, but like you personally, how are you doing? Um, and really kind of listening to what they have to say because I guarantee that that mom coming back or even that dad is distracted in their mind because they've just left a child at home or they've left the child at daycare and maybe it didn't go where go well and it's just nice to know that like someone is genuinely asking like are you doing okay and if you're not like what can we do here to help make that transition a little bit easier because you've just spent here in America at least only three months. <laughs> I don't know what it is in Australia, but you've just spent three months in this little bubble um, with your baby. And then all of a sudden overnight it changes and you go back to work and you're kind of expected to be the same as you were. And that's like a huge shift in like 24 hours. So it's really hard to kind of wrap your brain around that unless you're able to do something like part-time and ease your way back in. But really, truly just making sure that, you know, they're doing okay. Can I help you do anything? Do you need to just go home? Would you like to try a different schedule and um, try to work with them? No, that's awesome. That's really interesting to hear. And I think it's a really great reminder that when you're at work, that is your personality and that is your job, but that everyone has other things going on. And just mm -hmm. by, and sometimes just by saying that, like you mentioned, hey, how are you going? Is there anything I can do to help? It's probably going to make that person feel significantly better. I'm, I've not been in that position in regards to being a mum, but I can imagine from your experience and everyone else's experience that that would make a hell of a difference. Yeah, because we come back and we try to, you know, put on this brave face of, okay, I'm back at work and I'm just going to dive right into what I need to do and things are fine. But behind the, the scenes, things might not be fine. You know, you might have left your screaming baby that morning or, you know, you, you're... <laughs> Three months here in the United States is not enough leave for a woman. Your body is still recovering. Your hormones are still recovering. I mean, you're you're not normal. Like, it, and that's okay. <laughs> you shouldn't be. You just had a baby. But then to try to have to walk into work and pick up where you left off three months ago, like most women will just put on this, you know, brave face and 
You know, no one, no one's going to care what's going on at home. It, they shouldn't have to bother with it. That's my to deal with. And so I'm just going to carry on like I never left. And that's not easy. Yeah, absolutely not. I can't imagine like going back after three months. Whoa, what a oh, I know. It's, oh, <laughs> it's awful. Oh, it's so awful. And there are some moms in the United States who don't even get to take that time. It's unpaid. I and mean, it's just it's yeah. basically just 12 weeks of holding your job. So you're not Oof. getting paid. And some women only get six to eight weeks. It, you know, some employers in the United States do offer um, parental leave, uh, but it really depends on the business. It's not federally mandated. So that's tough. What you were saying with um, the employers and, and managers being aware of parents coming back to work and everything. I do love that about my facility. And I've noticed that for years, they, they've just always been so kind. I really appreciate that. That's something that I've just always noticed with rostering. Um, it's just kind of been like, oh, well, she's a mum. She can only work this day, this day. Or, um, you know, like she's actually only limited to two days a week. And it's it's never been like, a, oh, well, you know, um, you should have to do this and that. They've been really good with that. And that makes me feel a bit better coming back to work too, that my workplace is um, very good with it. <laughs> yeah. And it is nice to have a supportive workplace. I will say also like prior to going out, it's definitely worth it to have those conversations with your facility and your managers about like, hey, can we just talk about what these transitions look like? Because there's some big changes going on and I just want to know what your expectations will be of me coming back. And, you know, here's how I think I'm going to feel and what I think, you know, I will be able to handle and just to keep those communication channels open, even if it feels awkward because you're sharing so much of your personal life. If you're able, keeping those communication channels open and really talking about it with your boss can be helpful. Yeah, I think that's really good advice, actually. I, I love the idea of communicating about it beforehand, before... Mm -hmm. Like, especially when you come back, you're probably a little bit all over the place, probably a little yeah. bit sleep deprived. So having those conversations before or or during is definitely sounds like the way to go. You've obviously mentioned about there is a huge struggle between balancing parent life, professional life. Do you have any insights from your experiences or any of your guests' experiences that might help other people in that position? Um, really trying to create and hold boundaries around your professional life, um, you know, if your day ends at 4.30 or 5, then that's when your day ends. And trying to stick to that boundary. I'm not going to do work emails when I'm at home. I'm not going to, you know, be part of the text thread that's going on with my coworkers because that's just, you know, I, I, I'm at home with my children, you know, and I've got other priorities. So really trying to hold those boundaries and work is work time, home is home time um, can help. You know, and that's it's so individual, though, because you might be someone who does still want to be involved in some of that outside of work chatter or whatever else is going on. But for me personally, really sticking to my boundaries and knowing that when I walk out the door at 430, I'm going to move into mom mode and I'm not going to stop and think about the zoo. I'm not going to worry about what's going on. I'm leaving it out the zoo makes it a lot easier for me. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good um, piece of advice. And I guess that can be a little bit difficult depending on the role that you're in. I can imagine coming back into a supervisor or a management role can be difficult to have that balance where you shut off at that time. But I think yeah. making a bit more of a conscious effort and hopefully having a really good support system around you is going to help towards that goal. A hundred percent. And you know, like things are going to happen. There's going to be that emergency procedure that happens at 430 where you have to, you know, if you're the supervisor of that area, be in attendance. Like things are going to happen and, and knowing that like you're just going to have to adapt and be flexible and 
it might be a little stressful because you have to figure out now who's going to pick up the kids but just knowing that like it's going to happen it's not going to be perfect but you can try to be intentional about it this might be a bit of a weird question but have you found that having experience and skill set and animal behavior and training has translated into mom life at all yes so much and actually i talk about this a lot with my guests because there's the obvious of um, i'm used to being around fecal matter <laughs> and all sorts of <laughs> gross things and that's no big deal when you have a kid <laughs> although my husband would probably disagree if he listens and be like yeah but you you hate changing the kid's diaper you gag but for the <laughs> most part <laughs> You're used to kind of weird, gross things, and kids are weird and gross a lot of the time. But also, you know, everyone that I talk to about this on the podcast automatically goes to training and all of the training that they do with their animals on a daily basis and how they've been able to kind of apply those steps to their children. I mean, behavior is behavior, whether you're an animal or a three-year-old, and being <laughs> able to really notice tiny subtle like behavior changes and then react to them appropriately and kind of shape and mold that behavior into what you're trying to accomplish that works for an animal as well as it works for a human um and then i would also say patience because being patient working with hoofstock over the course of my career and being patient with hoofstock if you've worked with hoofstock you know um definitely has you know, amplified that skill in my parental life because little kids, especially toddlers in their independent phase and their I want to do it myself phase can definitely try your patience. And so being able to just be like, okay, I'm just going to take a deep breath. We're going to treat this like an animal at work. And I would just stand here and kind of wait it out. It can be super beneficial. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, you have spoken to a ton of guests on your podcast and I actually spoke on one of our other podcasts about one of my favorite stories, which was with a lady who utilized her breastfeeding experience with an orangutan, which I thought was oh, fascinating. Yeah. Do you have a favorite experience that you've like that a guest has shared with you or a colleague possibly on your podcast? Um, actually, I talked to a mom recently who told me she basically like injection trained her child for their vaccinations. <laughs> and that she... Oh my gosh. <laughs> She brought home like a little tiny, like, you know, blunted syringe and, and she, you know, basically like approximated what was going to happen. And she's like, and then it was a tiny child. And she's like, we went to get them and they poked her and she didn't even cry. And it was totally fine. She totally knew what was coming. And I wow. was like, wow, you injection trained your kid. That's amazing. But there is something to be said for that because, you know, I had a son who needed a, a dental um a thing done on his tooth and they were like oh don't tell him anything that's coming on like just not the day of don't tell him what's going to happen just show up and we'll take it from there and in my head I was like but I wouldn't do that at the zoo with a zoo animal just like spring it on them yeah like, um so experience true. tells me that that's gonna go pretty poorly there's probably gonna be tears <laughs> there might be wrestling and so yeah, I do also kind of apply that in in my life with them and if they have something coming up that is going to be scary to them we do talk about it a lot and we're like listen this is going to happen it might hurt buddy like there's no ifs ands or buts about it that it might hurt but it might feel like this and because you know what's going to happen this is what's going to happen next and so they're kind of prepared and then ultimately kids will surprise you they're so resilient when they get yeah. to be in those situations they handle it a lot better than we give them credit for and in that sense, it's easier than an animal because you can actually tell them, you know, you like with right. words. <laughs> I can speak their language. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. That's a lot easier. <laughs> now, um, as always, 
we have so many questions and we mentioned before that we had to actually put them in our questions just because we had so much interest in you and your <laughs> podcast. Are you cool if we jump into those um, questions from our listeners? Yeah, let's do it. Lovely. Okay. The first one, how do you best mitigate the risks of the field? So exposure to zoonotic diseases, et cetera, when you are pregnant? Um, I think it's really individual to you as a woman and in what's going on, you know, as you enter into pregnancy and also what your role is at the facility, what species you're working with. There's so many things, um, you know, your body pre-pregnancy is used to doing that job, that work uh, daily, day in and day out. So, you know, as you get larger and your belly grows, you just kind of naturally make accommodations for yourself, but your body's still kind of used to doing what it has always done. Um, but, you know, if you work with species that are of concern to doctors, like those species maybe that carry toxoplasmosis, um, you know, it's definitely worth a discussion to have with your doctor about, hey, this is what I'm doing at my job and to see what they have to say about it. They might be a little overcautious, um, but it's a conversation that you should just have with them and come to a happy medium um, because you definitely are, are capable and able of, of working. You just have to figure out what is the most comfortable for you and what you're also comfort what your comfort level is and your doctor's comfort level is with the risks that you're going to be exposed to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like you said, yeah, there are just changes physically that you just have to adapt to. I've noticed that with my bending over. I can't bend over <laughs> yeah. anymore. I have to squat like a <laughs> yeah. sumo squat. Um, and in terms of, yeah, zoonotic diseases and that kind of thing, it just makes sense just to have a chat with your GP. Even my mom said to me um, a couple of months ago, she was like, should you be cutting rats and touching raw chickens when you're pregnant? I was like, mom, I've been doing this for like 11 years. I think my body's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I can wash my hands really well. Like, we're good. We're good. <laughs> exactly. And I think, like you said, the doctors are probably more likely to be a little overcautious. It's not every oh, day gosh, that yeah. you get them coming to right. you and being like, hey, I work with tigers. Is it okay if I still do this or something? Yeah, like you what? <laughs> yeah. You should absolutely just be like covered in PPP. Like, <laughs> just make sure you're really safe. <laughs> Um, they do. Okay, so, They're always like, what What now? Tell me exactly what you're doing. You're picking yeah. up poop like uh, with your hands, <laughs> no with gloves. Like, you know, they, they just don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. Have you found tackling, like, how have you found tackling your workload, missing milestones with your children because of schedules, like you mentioned earlier, uh, possibly interrupted training from having to have sick days with kids? How have you found tackling all of those challenges? I think you just have to kind of go into it knowing that you're going to have to be flexible and adapt, that everything that you're experiencing right now in your parental life is just a season. It's not going to last forever. In fact, it's probably going to change in six weeks to six months. Um, and then also, you know, kind of really get to a point where you don't put so much emphasis on the milestones that you're going to be upset about missing them because missing a, the first time that your kid walks is going to probably happen. But when I see him walk for the first time, that's still the first time that I saw it happen. And that's yeah. just as exciting. That's, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't matter when it happened because it's always going to be exciting to me when I see it happen. And just be okay with the fact that like, I'm not going to catch every single first 
that my kid has throughout his whole entire life that's just not possible so I'm okay with celebrating it whenever it occurs for me um, but I think that you know the workload and you know missing work because of sick kids and that interrupts like projects you have going on at work again like it's it's inevitable it's going to happen the sick kid thing happens a lot especially if your kids are in daycare um, and you just kind of have to learn how to roll with the punches and be like all right well that's just not in the cards today I'm gonna have to pick it back up where I left off and that's just what's gonna happen I can't stew about it I can't you know fret like it's just it is what it is at this point and, you know, I know that maybe I just have littles at home and this is the season of life I'm in, but a year from now, it might be much different. It might not be missing anything at all. And it's okay. So you just kind of have to learn how to take it as it comes and, and try your best to balance it. I love that. I think that's a great answer. And honestly, my mind went straight to animals and training. I'd be like, oh, it's like if you weren't there the day that an animal first does a behavior that you've been training or something like you know it's still just exciting the next day when yeah. it's um the second session you know exactly. so yeah that, that that's a great answer i love that now our last question was um and i mentioned before but thankfully my workplace is pretty accommodating with parents coming back to work but was your workplace accommodating for you um and what gestation did you feel comfortable working to yeah they were very accommodating they and they continue to be um you know we're really kind of family oriented here. Naples Zoo is like, I would call it like a medium sized US zoo. And they've always been like very like welcoming of like the kids whenever they've had to come. Um, you know, Silas, who is my oldest, he's eight, has to go to camp in the summer. He has to go to camp over spring break. And, you know, that doesn't start until maybe like 8.30 or 9. And we start work at 7.30. So they've always allowed him to come and sit in the conference room until I had mm -hmm. to take him over at 9. So they're just very like... They're just very supportive, and I I feel very lucky because I know not every mom out there might have a supportive workplace, but for me personally, I had both my children while I was at Naples Zoo, and they've always been super supportive of my family life, which is really nice. I worked up until the very end of my pregnancy. <laughs> I was comfortable doing that. We actually, we ride bikes around Naples with like a little cart attached to the back. And that's how we get from like exhibit to exhibit. And we pull along our diets in the cart and stuff like that. And I was riding the bike until about eight months pregnant. And, you know, that was just part of my, <laughs> my life at the zoo. And I was comfortable doing it. So, you know, with my second pregnancy, I worked up until the very end as well. Um, I probably should have started taking it a little bit easier before then because I did go to the hospital with like preterm labor because I was trying oh, to move a hyena, a hyena crate <laughs> but oh my gosh <laughs> listen to your body <laughs> listening to your body I clearly wasn't listening to mine um and you know here in Florida it's just hot all the time I mean it is so hot and humid and so if you're pregnant during those summer months you definitely struggle with you know, getting enough hydration and and yes. and all of that, but yeah, I mean, you just have to kind of like do what feels good for your body and listen to your body and don't push it because while you might feel guilty that you have to continue working, you don't want to slow your team, you don't want to hold them up. In the grand scheme of things, that is not that big a deal. They are there to help do that job as well, and you don't have to put your risk your life at risk your baby's life at risk because you want to try to you know not slow down the team so listen to your body because it's going to tell you what you need to do I was just about to ask Kathy to deal with the Florida humidity because we awful. get a, 
we get it pretty bad in Queensland and we struggle a yeah. lot, but I've been to Florida a few times and yeah, that's pretty intense. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, I completely agree with that. I've just been feeling it so much more lately and I think that I have the same abilities as I did a couple of months ago and I've only in the last couple of weeks been like, chill, maybe you shouldn't be with a sniffering. Like maybe <laughs> somebody else can do that because you already have sore back. So maybe <laughs> um, chill and yeah, and it is true and it's great because your teammates are very accommodating and they know mm -hmm. that you're not trying to be a slacker. It's just literally that picking up that wheelbarrow of sand will really do you for the next week. So yes. just, um, yeah, take it easy for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, take it easy. It's I think we all kind of, you know, as zookeepers share the same personality as we're stubborn and we, we just have a hard time taking it easy. <laughs> but sometimes yeah. you just have to. And um, yeah. <laughs> my colleagues have been rousing on me too. Like I'd like go to do something. They're like, I'll do it, please. Thank you. And I'm like, oh, okay, yep. I need to be told. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I honestly think this has been so interesting chatting to you, Elizabeth. And one thing that I've really taken, and I'm sure Tess has noticed too, is just how positive you've been around everything that we've asked you. You've been really positive about mothering and pairing that with the, with the job as well. So I really hope that people get a ton out of this conversation you obviously, we've spoken about your podcast a million times. Did you want to let the listeners know where they can find the podcast? Sure. You can listen to the podcast on any platform that you listen to podcasts. It's literally everywhere. You can download it. Um, and then we do have an Instagram page, just at Mothering Wildlife. You can also find the podcast on Facebook, Mothering Wildlife as well. And um, if you want to reach out and get in touch with me in any way, it's um, motheringwildlife at gmail.com. So all the ways. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Tess and I are so grateful. Really enjoyed having a conversation with you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it as well. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, guys, I really love that episode. I feel like she spoke so eloquently and she's so positive, like you mentioned, Daisy. So it really helped me and I hope it helps um, a lot of other listeners out there too who aren't necessarily mothers but might just get something from that episode and have a bit more empathy for um, parents coming back into the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably one of my favourite podcasts and Elizabeth was just a delight to chat to and we chatted for a little while afterwards as well about different experiences. So like you said, Tess, we really hope that you all enjoyed it. But that is us wrapping up for another week. We are always excited to bring you a brand new episode next week. If you have any feedback or any questions, please feel free to get in touch with us via our social media. But until then, we will chat to you next week. Bye.